Well, good evening, everybody. We welcome you into the Boardwalk Hardwood Floors Behind the Bench Show. I'm Chris Kerber. Glad to have you with us here on a Wednesday night. The show brought to you every Wednesday night from 6 to 7 p.m. by Boardwalk Hardwood Floors. Remember, the home show sale is going on now at Boardwalk Hardwood Floors. Update your home with savings on all types of flooring, including solid, reclaimed, wide plank, and more. Visit one of the showrooms in Crestwood, Manchester, St. Peter's, or online at BoardwalkHardwood.com. Boardwalk Hardwood Floors, great floors for every home with better selection, better value, and the best service. This week on the program, we profile blues legend and great Barkley Plager. Came to the blues via trade along with Red Berenson, and the rest is history. He plays nine seasons with the St. Louis Blues, eventually becomes their head coach. His number eight is hanging in the rafters. Two people we're going to talk to on the program tonight, Bernie Federico, Blues Hall of Famer, played for him, played with him, both in the minor leagues and in the National Hockey League. And then, of course, we're going to talk to Barkley's brother, Bobby, who pretty much all you have to do is say, Bobby, tell me about Barkley, and we've got the show covered. So, Let's get right at it as we get into the program, and we welcome in Bernie Footer. Go to the program tonight. Bernie, how are you? I'm doing okay, Curbs. Like everybody else, we're trying to get this behind us, and we're taking this very serious. We're quarantining ourselves, and, you know, we're not going out and stay social distancing, the whole thing that we're supposed to do, and let's hope that we can put a stop to this very, very quickly. Uh, that, that would be great, and then uh, we get back to work, even if it's in the middle of the summer. We'll pull out the humidifiers and play hockey in the summer. I'd be fine with that. I'd be Whatever just fine with that. Whatever we have to do, you bet. Whatever we need to do. Well, let's talk about Barkley Plager. Um, and I guess somewhat uh, in chrono- chronological order here uh, for you. If, by, by the way, uh, it's a great chance to also tell people about the book that you wrote with both with Jeremy Rutherford because you do talk about Barkley in your book quite a lot as well. But let's just start with this one. What did Barkley Plager mean to you? Well, I think if you look back at my career, I really think that Bark was probably the most instrumental person uh, in my professional career. I mean, he was the guy that uh, I think was, I was very fortunate. I mean, I think it was very, very disappointed when I got sent down to the minors. But in retrospect, it was probably the greatest thing that happened to me because I got to chance to, to spend uh, the beginning of my career playing for a guy that, that really knew everything about what it takes to be a professional athlete, you know, in the National Hockey League. And Bark was a mentor. Bark was our coach, but he was also a player coach. So he, he was a teammate. Um, you couldn't have had a better key, teammate. Or I mean, it was like a big brother to me. And I, 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 I really, I look back at everything, and 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 he is one of the the most the guys that was 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 most instrumental uh, in in making me what I what type of player that I was to play in the National Hockey League. So, Bernie, was he also your coach for a while in Kansas City? He was. That's where I started, uh, Curbs. When I got sent down um, at the end of training camp uh, with the Blues, uh, I ended up going to Kansas City, and Bark had just retired uh, as an NHL player to go down and, and run the team in, in Kansas City. He was a player coach, and um, I, I've never seen a guy that uh, you know had so much heart. I mean, he was a guy that could still play in the NHL, but uh, he chose to get into coaching, and by doing that, he had to really kind of take a step back and, and be a player coach. But, um, you know, just his leadership both on and off the ice was 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 unbelievable. I mean, if something happened on the ice, uh, he was the first guy that, that was right in there, nose first, to make sure nothing happened to any of us young guys. Uh, he was the guy that uh, uh, really on the bus trips, uh, he was the guy that uh, told us uh, all kinds of different stories about playing the national hockey, about what uh, we have to do to, to get there and, uh, all those little things that it takes to not only be a really good player, but to, to be a, a man, to, to grow up from being a 
really we were just finished being teenagers and just turned 20 years old and here we are playing uh, professional hockey and, and Bart was the guy that really uh, was that older brother and fatherly figure that made sure that uh, we made the right steps to, to, to go the right direction uh, you know for our careers was he a direct a gentle a kind of hard straight to the point type of figure how would you describe him anywhere along that scale all of the above everything that you mentioned I mean he had a side I mean obviously he had the bun one of the softest sides that, that I've ever uh, you know uh, uh, experienced I mean here was a guy that was a uh, really a menace. I mean, uh, he, he was tough. Um, you know, just you know, hearing all the stories about how the players played. Um, yet he had that such a soft spot. But uh, if something went on that he didn't like, uh, yeah, I mean, the, the uh, uh, temper came out very, very quickly. Whether it would be on the ice or off the ice, uh, if he had to blow up in the locker room, uh, he would do it. If he had to blow up on the ice, he would do it. But um, he was a really, really skilled player as well. It wasn't that just. Um, you know, that he was, you know, coming to the minors to, to, because he couldn't play in the NHL anymore. He could have played in the NHL. And um, he, a lot of the things that he taught us um, on the ice, I mean, we, we, we predominantly did a lot of scrimmaging. And I think that was the something. I mean, Bark blocked shots. He did all the things. I mean, he was beat up for the most part all the time because of the way he played. I mean, it was a reckless abandon. Um, but uh, the things, you know, when you lead by example, um, when we watched how he played, how he practiced, how he did all the things, I mean, it, it, it only you know brought uh, really uh, you know strong um, uh, habits to us because of the way he played, the way he practiced, and and those were the things that not only just watching him, but the things that he had to say, the guidance that he had to say, uh, and we were, I mean, because of that, we were a great hockey club. I mean, I, I you know what, I, I only played 42 games down there uh, that first year. And uh, before I got called up for good, but uh, I, don't, I think we only lost maybe a half dozen while I was there. I mean, the team that he had, the way that we played, I mean, it had a lot to do with, with Bark's leadership. And uh, they ended up winning the uh, Central Hockey League uh, uh, championship there, too, uh, you know, when I, when I, after we got called up. So, um, I mean, Bark was, was really very, very instrumental in, in, in all that stuff, making that, that minor league team such a great success. We're talking with Blues Hall of Famer Bernie Federko on the Boardwalk Hardwood Floors Behind the Bench show. This week we're highlighting Blues legend Barkley Plager, his number eight, of course, hanging in the rafters at Enterprise Center. Bernie, for for new hockey fans, and, and maybe not even new hockey fans, it's been a long, long while since the practice of a player-coach has been used. What was that like, and can you describe it for fans that might have no idea how that would have even have been possible at a pro level. Well, you know what? I think that uh, for those people that don't know, I mean, I think uh, things are pretty structured uh, for a team, and, and even especially during a game on the bench. I mean, I think a lot of people always question how we know what's going on as far as line changes uh, because you're changing on the fly. But uh, with Bark, even being a player coach, he was still very vocal on the bench. Everybody knew exactly what was going on. Um, from practices, we knew basically – um, you know what we, what we what we were supposed to do, how we were supposed to change, how we were supposed to follow line from line. Yes, sometimes he had to change things, but I mean he was very vocal. Um, you know, as a player coach and 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 even uh, you know with the trainers and 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 that this and that. If he had something to say and he was out on the ice, I mean the trainers really helped out an awful lot too, uh, making sure that um, that everybody was you know was changing at the right time where everybody knew exactly what was going on. But um, you know he really handled that very well, and I, 
and really it was obviously the first time for me. I mean, I'd never seen, uh, been on a team where it was a player coach, but uh, we had no issues at all. And, and I mean, changes, uh, practices, everything was as if that uh, uh, he was just out there and, and, you know, standing behind the bench. But, I mean, he didn't practice a lot, and I will say that uh, a lot of the practices, uh, Bark would come out, just stand behind the bench and or go out there with without any equipment on and and, and act as a coach. So um, you know we had a lot of bit uh, a little bit of both of those things when he was coaching. But a lot of times in practice he he didn't come out you know in full full dress and stuff. He just came out in sweats and this and that. But uh, during the games he was always there and we knew exactly what uh, what his job was and what it was going to be able to do. So Bernie Footer goes a rookie season for uh, those out there in pro hockey after coming from the Saskatoon Blades was in 76-77. As you mentioned, he played 42 games that season with Kansas City. Also played 31 up in the National Hockey League with the St. Louis Blues. Now, that same year, Barkley Plager in 76-77 had played two games with the Blues. Did you happen to play with him in those games in the NHL? Do you Uh, you remember? Yes, I believe so. I think he came up at the end of the year, if if I'm not mistaken. He played a couple of games late in the year. Okay. Um, so I, I think I did, but I, you know what, that my memory's not that good, yeah. but, um, but he was, I mean, you know, with him, um, just having him around, I mean, Bark and I really, really became close. I mean, as I said, he was like a father figure, like a, you know, older brother to me. And, um, you know what, when, you know, he finally took over coaching the blues was, was, was probably one of the, you know, the biggest things again, um, for my NHL career, for having Bark, uh, you know, go behind the bench in my third year. And, and, you know, again, be a big part of, 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 of you know, my success. So Barkley Plager took over as the head coach of the St. Louis Blues in the 77-78 season. Uh, and that, that's the year, of course, that you ended up playing what, what your first full season, I guess, in the National Hockey League. When, he, when you found out that he was now going to be your coach at this level, having experienced what you did in Kansas City, what was it like for you and other young guys like, like Brian Sutter? Well, it was it obviously was a breath of fresh air for us. I mean, and this is nothing against Leo Boyman, who was the coach at the time. Uh, Emil Francis had hired uh, Leo because uh, uh, Mr. Francis was coaching um, in '76, '77, the Blues, and then he, you know, decided that he was just not going to be the GM and coach. He was just going to hand over the reins to Leo Boyman. And uh, Leo was old, old school. I mean, we were. Um, after you know the the little run that that we had there, coming getting called up, both uh, Brian Sutter and I, and then of course Rick Bourbonnet, um we expected that when we came back to camp that we were going to be uh, utilized uh, as 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 one of the, you know, the the new young lines in the league um, and new long, long young lines on the team. But um, it was uh, I guess in the old days. I mean, you you have to. Uh, bide your time and be patient and and it was hard for for all three of us because we were basically the fourth line uh we didn't get a lot of ice time and i think we were uh, you know it was a lot of stuff was was very frustrating uh for us but um you know we i guess needed to pay our dues and uh we weren't very very happy about what was going on and uh, not getting to play so um when bark did take over late in that year um leo got fired and bark came in and and for us uh, we knew bark knew us well Bark, uh, the first thing he did was sit us down and said, okay, guys, you're going to play. Uh, no excuses anymore. This is not. This is going to change. You guys are going to get a lot of ice time. So, you know, no pouting, no crying, and let's get out there and, and show everybody what you can do. And, and, and that was really uh, a big turning point for, for us because we were able to, to start getting ice time. Uh, we were not only, um, you know, just, uh, uh, you know, playing 
as a fourth line. We're getting a little power play time. So, I mean, I, I think, Curbs, if I can remember, I think when Bark did um, uh, come to us, I think I maybe only had four, three or four or five goals on the year. And this was, I think, in February. And I ended up, I think, with 17 that year. I mean, it was, wow. the, it was difference was night and day because I, uh, all of a sudden, you know, we were we were getting a chance to play. Well, we're talking with Bernie Federico about Blues legend and great Barkley player here on the Boardwalk Hardwood Floors Behind the Bench show. When we come back, more with Bernie Federico on 101 ESPN. Welcome back in on a Wednesday night to the Boardwalk Hardwood Floors Behind the Bench show. I'm Chris Kerber. The show comes your way every single Wednesday night from 6 to 7 p.m. Tonight we are profiling Blues legend and great Barkley Plager. We'll hear from Bobby Plager coming up in just a few minutes. Stay tuned for that. But let's continue with Bernie Federico. And Bernie, one of the things that everybody knows when they talk about Barkley Plager is the loyalty that he had to St. Louis, his teammates, and the organization. How did he teach you guys as young players in the organization about that loyalty? Well, he did that even in Kansas City. I mean, uh, we always talk about, you know, you always play for the crest on the front of the jersey, not on the, the name on the back. And I think that was something. I mean, the blue note was so special, for, you know, for Bark. I mean, we, uh, the jersey never hit the floor. I mean, when you came in, uh, after the game, you actually handed your jersey to the trainer. You didn't throw it on the floor or throw it in, in the middle of the floor. Uh, you always uh, you hung it up or you, you gave it to uh, the trainer because it was not supposed to hit the floor. I mean, I think it was just the respect of not only uh, playing for the Blue Note, but for the respect for each other. And, and uh, you know, when you play junior hockey or you're playing college hockey, um, you know, you're sometimes uh, everybody is not equal because some some players are much better than others, and um, those are the guys that are going to move on and become pros. And uh, I think when you get to professional hockey, you don't know a lot of what what what, it, what it's all about because everybody is a professional and everybody is either as good as you or better than you are, and um, you have to uh, compete on a, on a nightly level. And I think that's what Bark uh, really taught us. I mean, things like okay, here's the deal. Uh, there's 80 games in a year. Uh, you're allowed one every ba- every 10 games that you can have a bad game. So if you have, you're allowed eight bad games a year. Uh, if you have seven in a row, that means you only have one left for the rest of the season. So you better learn that very quickly. So it was things like that that Bark uh, kind of taught us. And uh, just the, the thing to be, you know, a professional, you have to be consistent. You have to do your job each and every night, and you were doing your job for everybody else. I mean, everybody had a job to do, and when everybody did that job, you were going to be successful. And, uh, you know, we were going through some lean times. Uh, I think that Mr. Francis had made the decision when Bark uh, came to coach us that, that we were going to be in a, in a rebuilding mode, and that's exactly what happened. Is that, you know, Brian and I were a big part of it, and then uh, the Blues ended up, Mr. Francis drafted Wayne Babbage, uh, you know, the next spring, and then, of course, uh, the next year was Perry Turnbull. So we now all of a sudden were – gone from a real, you know, an older team to a team that was, was, was young and upcoming. And, and, you know, Bark made sure that we knew that we were going to be the nucleus, uh, nucleus of that, Brian and I. And, um, you know, thus we were the guys that were going to be the leaders on the team, even at the young age. And that, that's kind of what, what, what he kind of instilled in us. Was he a better coach than his NHL coaching record would say? If somebody looks at his NHL coaching record, they may not realize kind of where the Blues were organizationally. Was, was he a better coach than that record would show? Absolutely. I mean, uh, you know what? There were a lot of lean times there. I mean, you know, I, I think when you look at his, uh, you look at our record in, in, 
80-81 when we finished second to the Islanders. I mean, uh, even though Red was coaching, I mean, Bark was, you know, had been started his, his treatments with, with his uh, his cancer and stuff. But, you know, Bark was still a big part of, of what Red was doing. And, and I think uh, that any success that we had um, all the way through, if you look at even 85-86 when we went to the semifinals and lost in Game 7 to Calgary, even though Bark was not the head coach, he was still the heart and soul of this hockey club. And uh, just watching you know, all the stuff that he went through with his cancer treatments and never complained once. It was never about him. It was never about him going to complain or, or this or that. Um, you know, he'd show up in a ball hat, and even though you could see he was pale and gray and this and that, but um, he never worried about himself. He was always worried about what we were going to do. And, yes, absolutely, his coaching record, you know, times were changing right now, and uh, he was a fantastic coach and a fantastic person. So when you look at the coaching record, that was – uh, to do with uh, you know a, a rebuild uh, with a lot of you know different factors going on with a lot of young guys that uh, were just learning their way in the National Hockey League as well. How hard was it for you to watch him deal with getting sick? Oh, it was terrible. It was terrible. I mean, uh, but that's what I say, Curbs. That's interesting about that is that he never complained. Um, you know, we were. If you ever brought that up to him, uh, he was right in your face. Don't worry about me. I'm fine. You know, get out of my way. I mean, I'm. You know what? There's nothing wrong with me. I'm fine. If I wasn't fine, I wouldn't be here right now. So, it was never. I mean, he never wanted anybody uh, to look at him that something was wrong with him. And I, and I think that's. I mean, that, that's just the way he was. I mean, uh, he was a winner uh, all the time. And um, you know, one of the toughest guys that that I've ever met. And you know what he went through. And uh, it's still hard to believe. And it, you know, it's like they always say. You know, the, you know the, the nice guys seem to to, to you know, sometimes finish last, and uh, you know, he is one of the nicest guys uh, of, of of all time. And, and for him, he should still be here on this earth for for, for all the great things that he did, and, and, and you know, for for all of us and, and the life that that he had here. Anything else you'd like uh, anybody to know about Barkley Plager, whether it be a favorite story of yours or um, just any other aspect uh, that that he meant to you? Well, you know what, I, I think that there was a lot of things. I mean, you know, Bark was just a special person. I mean, I, I think I, I, I you know, in, in my book I, I talked about, I mean, who goes and, and, you know, what he wanted us to be such a big part of St. Louis. He, he, you know, what we were, both Brian Sutter and I, he said, no, you guys are the, the nucleus. You guys are, are the guys that you need to buy houses. You need to, to be a part of the community in this. And it was, I mean, he gave us money, uh, you know, to, for, for down payments on our house. Um, you know what? <laughs> I mean, who does that? Uh, he did that. You don't worry. You'll pay me back whenever you get a chance to do that. So, I mean, with little things like that, I mean, Bark was was uh, uh, like I say, he was that big brother that that uh, um, I didn't have while I was here. My brothers were back in Saskatoon, so um, to have a guy like Bark around all the time um, was was you know he knew my game inside out. He knew when I was not playing well. He knew. Why I wasn't playing well? I mean, we had a lot of heart-to-heart talks. We had a lot of yelling matches uh, back and forth. Um, but you know, he knew my game and he knew my personality better than anybody else's. And um, I owe him um, so much, uh, uh, you know, for for the career that I had. And uh, without what he did behind the bench, and even when he was, you know, playing with me, I mean, I, he he was uh, meant so much to me, and I miss him dearly each and every day. 
Bernie, uh, just some awesome stories there and some awesome perspective on uh, one of the Blues greats and legends, Barkley Plager, again, that number eight up in the Raptors at Enterprise Center. He was a player. He was a coach. And uh, obviously he was a mentor and a father figure to, to many, many people. And people still hold him in, uh, in in great reverence here as Blues fans and in the town of St. Louis. Bernie, thank you so much for this. Uh, we're going to catch up one, one of these days, maybe on this week in hockey when I've got more than just the, the one hour to do it. we got to pull you in and just uh, – Let's just talk Bernie Federico and tell some 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 Bernie Federico stories. I think the fans would love to hear it. Yeah, I'd be glad to do that. And you know what? If there has ever been a true blue, though, Barkley Plagers, there's no question about uh, he's at the top of the list. All right, that'll do it with Bernie Federico. When we come back, we're going to hear from Bobby Plager on the Boardwalk Hardwood Floors Behind the Bench Show. Well, welcome back into the Boardwalk Hardwood Floors Behind the Bench Show. Chris Kerber with you here. Glad to have you with us. We continue our profile tonight of Barkley Plager. Blue's great. Now, as I mentioned in the opening segment, one of the things about Barkley Plager that jumps right off the page at you, if you haven't gone back and looked at his bio at all, he played six seasons of pro hockey before breaking into the National Hockey League. And you have to remember that at the time, before 67-68, there were only six National Hockey League teams. So you had teams in the old American Hockey League whether it was in Springfield, and the Springfield Indians was one of the Barclays teams that he played for for three years, but he also played, uh, what, 13 games with the Pittsburgh Hornets in the American Hockey League. He played one game for the Quebec Aces, uh, the Buffalo Bisons, you know, in the American League. Like, some of these American Hockey League teams had quality, I mean, almost NHL-caliber-type teams when you really think about it. There just wasn't an opportunity for these guys to play. But then he came to the St. Louis Blues in a trade where the Blues acquired him and Red Berenson together, and the legend with the St. Louis Blues goes from there. Well, let's bring in uh, pretty much uh, the same legend, his brother. Bob Plager joins us to talk about his brother, Barkley. And, boy, Bob, I don't know where we want to start on this one, but thanks for giving us some time here. Let's... Let's just talk about all in general, just uh, why Barkley, your brother Barkley, was just so meaningful in your life professionally and personally. Well, he was a very special person to me. Uh, you know, growing up as kids, I was not that close to Barkley. Uh, you know, you grow up, he had his friends, his group, I had my group. And, you know, in the summer times and all that, we, when he would come home from playing junior hockey, uh, he would be with his friends, I would be with mine. And, you know, during the winter, I got to play against him and, uh, uh, that was it. But when he got to St. Louis and his family, uh, we became very, very close. And, you know, my brother was the leader, and I give a lot of credit, uh, you know, when I was in St. Louis and to be a player. He made me a lot better player and a lot better person. He he touched uh, me a lot, and I think there was a lot of, uh, as you found out, there's a lot of other players that he uh, he touched a lot of players just the way he was. He really did. Uh, three of the young players in the Blues organization when he became coach were Rob Ramage, Brian Sutter, Bernie Federko. I mean, those are just three amongst a few others. But those three really seemed to connect with Barkley, didn't they? Well, Barkley was very special. You know, in those days when you say a, a player's coach, he was like that. And uh, he was a teacher. And uh, the way he played the game, uh, it was a uh, you never give up. You're losing 5-1 two minutes to go. He still believed uh, you could still win the game. You go out there, you never quit. Uh, you know, I learned from him. Uh, you go out there, you play uh, every shift, you work every shift, and 
uh, you know, you don't cheat your teammates, you don't cheat the fans, and that's the way he played. And you know, he got here because of a guy named Scotty Bowman. And uh, when he played junior hockey, he played for Scotty, and Scotty recognized that right away with the Peterborough Peets. Uh, they went to Memorial Cup, and Barkley was the leader of the team. He belonged to the Montreal Canadiens at the time, and. Uh, Scotty saw what was in him, and you know that was the first trade that Scotty made when he came to St. Louis was to get Barkley. And you talk about Barkley being in the minor leagues for six years, and yeah, there was six hockey teams in the NHL, and, and that meant there was 110 hockey players that played uh, the American Hockey League. There were great hockey players, some good hockey players, but there wasn't enough room. So, you know, I was fortunate. I belonged to the New York Rangers, and you know I went down with the Rangers in their farm clubs and. Come the end of the year, uh, they're not going to make the playoffs. So it's, uh, well, let's give some of our guys a chance. Uh, so when there's an injury or something, I got to go and play in the National Hockey League when there was six teams. But you do go check the records. He where my brother Barkley played. The teams he played on, they all won, most of them. Barkley played was the MVP, the best defense in the league, 70-some you know, assists. But he belonged, he belonged to the Montreal Canadiens who'd win about six Stanley Cups in a row. They have all the province to Quebec, every French kid as a hockey player. So you, know, you go to their training camp, there's 150 guys at the training camp. So that's why Barkley wasn't in the NHL earlier. I, I said before he was a better player than me. I was at the Rangers, the right spot. He was in Montreal. Bob, uh, what was it? in the upbringing that you guys had as a family that has led to the immense loyalty that Barkley, and we just talked to Bernie Federico and he said, you know, he taught you about that loyalty to the organization that uh, it was so ingrained in both uh, you and Barkley. Well, again, I think, uh, you know, Barkley grew up in the Montreal organization and uh, you learned a lot with the Montreal. They were winners. And when you went to the farm clubs, and Scotty Bowman, I said, was the coach, and their teams win, and it all comes from the big team. They learned how to win. They knew how to win, and, you know, it was passed on. Uh, you imagine going to training camp uh, with Montreal, and you got Rocket Richard, Henry Richard, Boom Boom, Jeffrey on, Dickie Moore, Doug Harvey, and John, and John Bellavo, and you're at training camp, and you sit, and, and Barkley was a big believer, and, and Bernie was the same way. You went in the dressing room your first few years, you never opened your mouth. You never said nothing. You just sat there. You listened and you learned. And I think that's what my brother uh, did. He learned. And, you know, even when I come in here, I was having a good time. I was, uh, you know, a lot of fun in this year. And I was having a little fun here, too. And my brother get a hold of me and said, hey, we don't do this. We don't do this. We owe it to this. We pick our spots. We do this. So, you know, I learned uh, uh, a lot from my brother Bart. And, you know, you talked about the three guys early, Bernie yep. and Brian. When Barkley went to coach, Mill Francis was in here, and Bark had one more year on a contract. And he called Barkley in, and he said, you know, Bark, we have no coach in Kansas City. I'd like to think about going down there and being the coach. And Bark says, well, you know, I have another year in my contract. And Emil says, well, you don't worry about that part. You'll get your money and everything. But that job might not be there next year. So Bark went home and thought about it. And yeah, it's uh, meeting with Emil and we didn't have a great team at the time. We weren't going to be good for a while, but Emil told Barkley, he says, 
You know, we got some great young kids that are going to be in this organization, and I want you down there, and I want you to work with these kids, teach these kids the way the, the game is played and how to win. And, you know, that was a year he won a championship in Kansas City. He had two players down there that were on the team, Brian Sutter and Bernie Federico, who were having great years down there. But I think he was a big influence on them there. And, uh, you know, that year they brought up Bernie for a little while, and Bernie played so-so, and they sent him down. They brought up Brian so-so and sent him down, and Barkley phoned him out. He said, Mr. Francis, these guys are great hockey players, but you don't bring them up one at a time. They have to play together. And, you know, the career they had together. Yeah, it really was something. At the time when Mr. Francis asked him to go down and coach, was Barkley considering retiring as a player at that point? Well, you know, uh, he was getting old. He, he might have been, but he was, you know, he was working his way to become a coach and all that there, too, because even on the ice his last years, he was sort of like the coach on the ice, too, right. when he was there. And you know that, uh, like, I mean, they won the championship down there with those kids, and he lost Bernie and Brian, the two best hockey players in the league, uh, come up to play, so... But he still went on and won a championship. And Barkley was the playing coach down there. And you look at his record when he was in Kansas City. I think he was the coach of the year. I think he was the MVP. Uh, you know, a guy 36 years old, something like that, winning those championships. But being the best player, he was the playing coach. And he led by example down there. I've gone down there and rehabs and all that, hit with him, and, I mean, he'd go out there. I said, Bark, he was injured. Why are you playing? He says, well, he says, I don't want the players to know. And I said, well, why do you go out there, kill penalties and do all this? He says, well, I'm not going to ask my players to do it if I can't do it. I mean, it's just the way he wow. was and the way he taught. We're talking with Bob Plager. Uh, Blue's great about his brother, Barkley Plager, here on the Boardwalk Hardwood Floors Behind the Bench show. When we come back, we've got one more segment to go. Some more stories from Bob uh, on his uh, brother, Barkley, who when you bring your uh, sons, your daughters, or family members to the Enterprise Center, you're going to look up and you're not only going to see Bobby's number five. We'll talk about that moment, too, here. But you're going to see Barkley's number eight. And, uh, of course, one of the foundation members i guess is the best way to put it of this franchise that created what is the style and what it is to be a st louis blue barkley plager was as big a part of that as anybody in franchise history we'll come back with our final segment on barkley plager in a moment on 101 espn and one final time we bring you back into the boardwalk hardwood floors behind the bench show chris kerber with you here this week we're profiling blues great barkley plager we continue with uh, his brother bob plager who of course has been a part of the organization since day one since day one bobby has been a part of the organization pretty much from start to finish and uh, and still going strong with us and we love being able to talk hockey with him and tie in oh shoot 50 years of hockey history which is just amazing when you think about it Bob, your brother Barkley becomes the head coach of the St. Louis Blues after a nine-year, ten-year when you count the two games that he played in the 76-77 season. Becomes the head coach of the St. Louis Blues. What were his biggest challenges at the time that you remember? Well, you know, he he was the leader out there. His biggest challenge, I think, was going out there, and it, it was just going out there and playing every shift and playing with injuries and, you know, just the leader, uh, his leadership. And, 
uh, as a coach, his biggest challenge was with the young kids. Uh, you know, he knew that this team wasn't going to win that much, but the future was good. And it wasn't always winning. It was get the players ready and not just on the ice, off the ice. And I think he talked to a lot of players, every player that came into this team, the meeting with them, if that need something, you're having a problem, you want something, you know, he was the guy that his door was open to talk. And there's players come in when they wanted to buy a house or something. You know, he loaned players money. And like, I would say his wife used to say, well, do you got any interest? No, no, they're going to pay it back. But he, he took a it was special. Every player was special. And one of the toughest things, the biggest challenge for my brother, Bark, was uh, the day that uh, Bob Gassoff was in the motorcycle accident and passed away. You know, when I was with Bob and his wife that day, and my first phone call was to uh, Barkley and Mr. Francis. They weren't uh, out there at the party. And Barkley and Mr. Francis came out there, and that really hurt Barkley because he was very, very close to Bob Gassoff. You know, he was... He had helped Bob when he was in there, taught him a lot when he was there. But that hurt him a lot. And, uh, you know, Bob's wife was uh, pregnant at the time. She was ready to have a baby. And, and, you know, he was with her and I was with him like that. And he was up to her and she's pregnant. And he said, Diane, don't you, you know, you worry. But when you go to the hospital for your baby, I'll be right there with you. I'll be right there in the operating room. I'll be with you. Bob and I will be with you. So. On the day she went to the delivery room, I got the call from my brother, Bark, and that's what it was like. We went down the hospital. She went to the delivery room, and Bark went in with her. Bark, he was there when Bob Jr. was born, but that was a tough time on him. I think the first player really lost uh, something like that. But, uh, no, it was just uh, he was just such a great teacher and so good to the guys. And, you know, the Miracle Monday... Talks. Everybody remembers Miracle Monday, right? When, you know that was Barkley's last year, and they all knew it was going to be his last year. Uh, was. So I think we overachieved that year, the Miracle Money Monday. But every player that went out in the ice, every game, and there was orders from Brian Sutter, and Rob Ramage, and Bernie. You look up at, up there, and you'll see that number eight, and you play for that number eight. So it. Uh, <clears throat> made our team a lot better and that's the effect he had on him and you know after every game that we would play when park was in the hospital after in a coma didn't matter but bernie brian and rob ravage they showed up after every game yeah they did uh, they showed up and bernie has told that story they showed up after every game to uh to to go see barkley when he was in the hospital Bobby, um, so so Barkley, he had that first coaching stint, and then he came in and he replaced Emil Francis in that 82-83 season that, that you're referring to there. If I remember right, and, and, and boy, correct me on this because I'm trying to remember you, know, you, you telling me the story, but if I remember right, Barkley really did not want to go back behind the bench at that point in time, did he? Well, you know, Barkley, when he first came up, Barkley, uh... You know, he ended up, I got a phone call from Mr. Francis. They took Bark in the hospital, and he was like an epileptic, and they examined him, and, you know, with the machines they have now, with that, uh, they go back there, the x-rays, they found scar tissue on his uh, brain, and it was from an injury. And I know when he played in the uh, East, Eastern Hockey League for Ottawa Hall, Scott, he was the coach, 
he uh, got hit over the head with a stick. The guy swung his stick, hit him over the head, and he stitched. And then there was scar tissue there, and it was years later. And you know they could control with medicine, but you know Red went into coach then, and then Bark went back to become the coach. And you know the way he was, he, he being sick and all this here, he didn't know if he could. He he always thought, well, you know, they see me around the guys in this era. You know, the guys will shy away from me. They'll do this here. So he really didn't want her. And then there was a meeting with doctors and everything, and they told him, hey, you treat Barkley Pleasure the same way you've always treated him. You go out there, don't feel sorry, don't shy away, or this guy will, uh, he will just walk away. <clears throat> so that's the way the players were. They treated him the same way, like there was no injury at all. And uh, yeah, he, uh, he come back. I know when they brought him up from uh, – Salt Lake City, he coached in there. That was the year I came back from, uh, I'd retired, I come back to play, and Leo Biden was a coach, and weren't doing good, and one day I go in the rink, and I thought I saw Bart go in the office, and he was in uh, Salt Lake, and we have a practice with no Leo Boyman, and I went upstairs after to see Mr. Francis, and I said, you know, Mr. Francis, I said, Leo wasn't there today, and I thought I saw Bart coming in here. That's when he told me that uh, Bark was going to come up and he was going to coach the St. Louis Blues. I was so happy. That's what he was working for. So uh, I went down and I was player coaching in Salt Lake City for him. But that, uh, but but the second his his second uh, in a briefer stint with the St. Louis Blues is the one that. Uh, um, before he passed on and stuff, it's, that's that's the one, isn't it, Bob? Where um, he Emil Francis just kind of asked him to to fill in for the rest of that year, yeah. And, and that was right and before Jacques Demers came in. Yeah, yes. We had Red there. Well, Red, I don't know where the Red was gone earlier. Red, Red was gone earlier, and Emil Francis yeah. had gone between the had gone down to coach. That's what it was. Yeah, and the email brought him in here. Yeah, because Emil uh, Red went the year we got Rob Ramage, right? When we got Rob Ramage, yeah, well, he come back to and then, and then when he, uh, yeah, when he had the cancer and all this here, he was in there, and you know his cancer was an inoperable, and Chuck uh, Demers was then, and I went up and uh, this here I asked to be Chuck's assistant because I didn't want anybody coming back in here because knowing Barkley, if they bring another coach in here, Bart's going to say, oh, they're fine, they got somebody else here, they're good. But uh, I went behind the bench, and I go, I'm like, hey, Bark, you better get better. You better do something. These guys are driving me crazy, driving me crazy. And he would tell his wife, i got to get back. i got to get back. Bob's going crazy. So so he worked his way back. He'd come back a few times, and he would leave and come back. So when he battled, he got two extra years, close to three, because being with the guys and uh, being able to coach. Bobby, let's let's wrap up talking about Barkley uh, with this when your number was finally retired just a couple of years ago uh, and the number raised to the rafters, your number paused halfway up. Barkley's number came down. Yeah, I get chills just even telling the story. And then lined up with yours and it went up together. What did that mean to you? Well, you know, just to go up there and be with Bark. And, you know, I tell people I would go to every game of the game and I'd look up at Bark and I'd say well what team showing up tonight or how are we going to do tonight and there was times during the game uh, we're not playing good doing something I would always look up at number eight and I go 
oh, this isn't too good. I guess you're not too happy. Are you still, you know, I talk to number eight all the time. And then uh, when my number went up, I mean, because he is so special for me to get my number up there with his, that's even more special than what I ever did. I just had my number up there with my brothers. And that night, when this happened, you're there, and people don't, I brought Barkley's wife and his four kids, his wife and his four kids. They were there when Bark's number was retired, but, you know, it was not the ceremony that we had. They were young, and I don't even know if they remembered. But I asked uh, my crew, so I want my brother's family on the ice with me, not knowing that this was going to happen. So we're all there on the ice, and my number's going up, and my family's there. And when it stops halfway up, uh, like everybody, it's silent. My kids, my family look at me, and what's going on? I goes, I don't know. I said, maybe they're going to leave it halfway up uh, for this game. I don't know. And then uh, it was dark, and you look up through the light. I put the light on number eight, and all of a sudden it started to move and slowly come down, and and it was coming right down, the lights, spotlights on it. So the whole building and everybody I thought to cried that night. People were in there, grown men, tears in their eyes, and I look over at Bart's family. We were all tears in our eyes. And then when he stopped beside me, and for a minute, and then we both went up together. It's like he brought me up there. So very, very, cool. very special. And, you know, it was a hockey night in Canada, that game, too. And it went a little long, so people in Canada, you know, I mean, they had to watch it. We were playing the Toronto Maple Leafs that night, in which we won 5 nothing. <laughs> number five. That's right. <laughs> but uh, one of the best things, and I don't know how many people know Don Cherry, but I think John Cherry is the greatest. And he said after it was all over, he said, uh, well, I don't know who's responsible for that in St. Louis, who arranged that, but I've been through a lot of numbers that have been tried. Uh, retired. I've seen a lot of numbers go up in the rafters, but this has to be one of the greatest. It so, really, it really was. Uh, it was awesome. It was awesome to see. Yeah, it was. Uh, you know, can I give you one more story about my number going up? Sure. It was the Toronto Maple Leafs. It was five nothing. We win, but I was about twenty minutes longer in the program than I should have been by speaking. And the Toronto Maple Leafs had played the night before in uh, Dallas, and they lost 7-1, or 6-1 or 7-1. But after the game, it's all over, and I'm walking by by their dressing room out the back, and some of the players, some of them were in there, and as I'm walking by, I hear somebody go, well, what did they expect? We're sitting there dressed, and we have to wait about an extra 25 minutes, half an hour. Well, that guy's giving his speech. Well, they're retiring that guy's number. Oh, I opened the curtains, and I walked right in there, and I go, excuse me. Excuse me. They all look. They know who I am, and they're just looking. I go, um, whose number did they retire in Dallas last night? <laughs> <laughs> and then I turned around and walked away. Oh, I love it. Bobby, you're an absolute treasure, man. We love you very much. Th- th- thank you for so much, and thanks for once again uh, helping us tell people more about Blues history and, and, and your great brother, Barkley. Thank you very much.
He's a legend. Thank you. You got it. That's Bob Plager here as uh, we've been highlighting and profiling Barkley Plager on tonight's edition of the Boardwalk Hardwood Floor Behind the Bench Show. Hey, the home sale is going on now at Boardwalk Hardwood Floors. Update your home with savings on all types of flooring, including solid, reclaimed, and wide plank, and more. Visit any one of the showrooms. There's three of them, Crestwood, Manchester, and St. Peter's, or online at BoardwalkHardwood.com. Boardwalk Hardwood Floors, great floors for every home with better selection, better value, and the best service. That sale goes now through the end of April. That's tonight's edition of Behind the Bench, brought to you by Boardwalk Hardwood Floors. My thanks to Mike Ryder for helping produce the show, to Bob Plager, to Bernie Federico, as we highlighted the great Barkley Plager. Again, the show comes your way every single Wednesday night. We'll talk to you again next week here on 101 ESPN, the home of your St. Louis Blues.